host, Eddie Beth, and with me are my colleagues, Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Daniel Lezon. Hello. And it's kind of an interesting moment right now. Um, oh. Uh, just because I'm in kind of a weird space. First of all, I'm tired. Uh, from there. Um, because uh, I'm going to do my own. Matthew's not here, so you can't appreciate this, but I'm going to do a brief wrestling segue. But I went to All In this weekend, um, which, for those who don't know, is the AEW big show, and that is the largest ever attended wrestling event now. Is it in London? Um, it was in London. Cool. Uh, Wembley Stadium, which is celebrating its 100th wow. anniversary this year. Um, and had 81,000 people in paid attendance, which is the largest ever. Wow. That's um, huge. So it was huge, and it was fun, and it was exhausting. <laughs> so um, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. Uh, um, and then, of course, in the middle of all that, Rotundo, uh, who um, known as Bray Wyatt, uh, he passed away and was one mm -hmm. of uh, my roommate's favorite uh, professional wrestler. So it's been a very emotionally weird weekend because it's the um, being part of a very historic events in London, being able to kind of just poop over there was, was great. Mm -hmm. um, and also uh, uh, having someone like that pass away. Um, and then all of that in the just combined with I'm not used to going to live events. This is the first big social event of any kind I've been to. Uh, the biggest social event of any kind I've been to in like four years. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 weird the first time you go to something large like that. Like uh, last last year, my boyfriend and I went to a stadium concert, and it was the same kind of thing. It was like, this is strange. There's a yeah. lot of people here. Uh, you know, and we 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 took all the precautions that we can. But like, mm -hmm. you know, it's 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 a point where yes, people should still take precautions. Yes, I think masking at events is still really a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I I I'm a very big advocate for that. But also because of the way that the pandemic was handled, it is now endemic. It's just a thing that we live with, you know. Right. And that's just what what you deal with. And it depends on your level of comfort and your level of you know health as to whether or not you go to things. But yeah, it is strange being in one of those large places. <laughs> again after so long you know and i'm glad you brought that up because that leads to where i was going to go with the story um so as michelle and i decided that we were going to leave before the main event actually because for reasons too complicated to get into um uh, david couldn't actually uh make it so they stayed home and watched it so we already bought the paper you mm -hmm. said we'll just watch the main event at home we don't have to try to catch it too with eighty thousand people all trying to get the two at the same time right mm-hmm um, combined with the fact that that night was also uh, the world's largest street party oh. at the same time, the Notting Hill uh, Festival. So it's like, we're just going to beat the rush and go home now. Uh, yep. So Michelle, Michelle went to the toilet. Uh, I'm waiting. Uh, a fan comes by with a beer in her hand. Uh, and she's like, I'm looking for my seat. And I was like, oh, yeah, your section's further down. And she's like, oh, you're American. And I'm like, more or less, yes. We'll just say yes. Um, and so she starts asking me, very gatekeepy questions like uh so who's your favorite wrestler and like i mentioned uh rick flair and we start talking about it. it's like oh so what's your favorite match and i'm like this is feeling a bit gatekeepy but whatever you know i'm trying to be polite although you gotta um, realize it is very novel that it's a british woman being gatekeepy about wrestling oh yeah no i mean i was i was i was vaguely <laughs> amused by it uh, but it was more like i've heard i've heard these questions inside the rpg community before so i recognize what they yep. are but I'm amused to play along with the game. Uh, uh, and then 
Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'm just waiting here for my wife to, to get out of the bathroom. Uh, and she, literally, Michelle came out at that point in time and she was pretty far away. And then this is what happens. This woman turns to look at her and says, wow, she's beautiful. And all my colleagues will agree with that. Michelle is, is dropped gorgeous. Yeah, Michelle's gorgeous. Absolutely. Um, and I'm like, yeah. well, thank you. I had nothing to do with it. And she says, can I lick her face? Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and like, what comes out of my mouth is, thank you, no, I'd, I'd rather appreciate you didn't. But in my head, I'm going, one, how the fuck do you ask that question? Two, how the fuck do you ask that question in a pandemic? Three, why are you asking me permission? <laughs> yeah, right? those are all the questions I have, too. Are you a puppy? I mean, my, so, my puppy wants to lick your face. Are you a puppy? <laughs> We're not done with the story. It gets better. Oh, no. Okay. All right. All right. So I say, I, no, I don't, I don't think she'd appreciate that. So Michelle walks up. She says, hi, you're gorgeous. Can I lick your face? Uh, Michelle has no context for this conversation. She just <laughs> walked up. Oh, no. And so Michelle's like, um, no, we have to catch a train. And she starts walking off. And I'm like, oh, got to go. Bye. I'm just do, do, do. And she's like, what the hell was that? That's why I had to tell her the story. But I'm just like, like throughout all that, I was like, you know, what? I'm getting comfortable. You know, it's like, this is weird, but I'm getting into it. You know, I did wear a mask for a while, but it was an open air stadium. Um, mm. And actually, surprisingly roomy for an 80,000 person stadium. So I was like, I actually you know, took the mask off after a while. I was like, actually pretty comfortable with this. And then that happened. That, and, and like my instinct was just closed back. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. People are terrible. And they'll be around them again. <laughs> this is awful. And I had to talk myself out of that for a couple of days. But I, I don't want to go back to conventions now. That is yeah, just a weird thing. Like, that's the kind of question I would expect only at like three or four a.m. at like Dragon Con, right? Right. Like, I could see a very drunk person at Dragon Con saying something like that, or just somebody who has decided that boundaries aren't a thing. Right. Um. This was I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll say that at least she asked. Yeah, and didn't just like assault Michelle. Fair. But I... Jesus, who asks that? I mean, clearly so this weird. woman, I am just, there was a time in my life when, and I was young, okay, like very, like in my early 20s, young, my, my frontal cortex hadn't finished developing. Oh yeah, we're all stupid, we're 20, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where I would lick people's faces. Mm -hmm. Oh. Um, and it, it was always, it was to be a shock. Right. It wasn't you're hot, I want to lick you. It was I am going Edgy. to lick you and you are going to be disgusted by it. And that is the point. Yeah. Right. Um I still cannot imagine going up to a stranger that I have never met and proposing to lick their face. Well, so that, that, that's the part that, I mean, of all the questions I have, certainly. The one I keep going back to is, like, I could almost see, can I lick your face? And then maybe turn to Michelle saying, can I lick your face? I could almost see that. But see, no, no, no. It's, it's the, she, she, she asked me to lick her face. Yeah. I'm like, there, there, is, there a new, is there a nuance of culture here? Or are you, uh, like, yeah, it, 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 too bad Matthew's not here to explain to us the long tradition of face licking in, in, in England at wrestling events. Because I'm sure that there's a... <laughs> There's a tradition from like Eaton or something that we just don't know about. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that this woman was just strange, 
and had an assumption about your relationship with your wife that that is not true. Apparently. Because <laughs> it's 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 almost funny. Like granted, this woman didn't know I was, and there's a lot of reasons why that should have been a reason why we didn't even have that conversation. But um anybody who knows the relationship with my wife is I have no desire to tell my wife anything. It's we are we are equal partners. That's just not how yeah. we work. We're in yep. no way, shape, or form. Um, but separate from all of that, Michelle is a force of nature and trying oh, to yeah. get her to do anything is a ridiculous Antisophian task. Oh no, yeah. Michelle's one of those women that like had I met her when I was a little bit younger and less sure of myself, I would have been so scared of because mm -hmm. she is tall and gorgeous and smart and mm -hmm. has a force of personality that like i can only aspire to mm -hmm. I, I i i love michelle and if there's like i i am sad that i'm not gonna see her at like midwinter going forward because it, it was always a, a joy to see her you know mm -hmm. oh man is this praise michelle hour because yes, when i first met michelle um, she did intimidate me because we were in the mm -hmm. uh, the vampire LARPing community together, mm. and mm. I met her as her character, which, oh. if you think Michelle is a strong, smart, independent woman, you can only imagine that the characters she plays are ruthless and... <laughs> just exacting and completely sure of themselves, which can be kind of intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I definitely had this kind of like, I would like to get to know this person, but I'm not sure I can. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I first met her at like Eddie's birthday dinner one time in Atlanta many years mm -hmm. ago. And so it was a lot more casual. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. <laughs> as opposed to intimidating vampire person right yeah just just to add on to the little story that we, we, we were talking about um one time when i was in my early 20s so i used to go to this like karaoke place like weekly right it was like mm -hmm. my hangout with my friends and sometimes i would go there and then go to goth night because goth night started later it was a whole thing anyway mm -hmm. one time i was there i think it was a halloween adjacent era because i remember people being in costume mm -hmm. and this person who i did know and was you know acquaintances with like karaoke acquaintances came up behind me and licked my neck and mm. i did not know who it was Ooh. and so i turned around and punched him in the head really hard and then he got mad at me no no and I was you like, did no. you did right <laughs> and like it was complete reflex i just like turned with a fist up because i was like whoever is doing this is a danger to me yep. mm -hmm. for those who don't know me like i'm not a large person so I do get, you know, scared when people larger than myself do things that could hurt me. Right. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I punched him and he was mad at me for like weeks. And I was like, all right, get over it. You did what something incredibly creepy. Wow. <laughs> like, even wow. if I did know who it was, I wouldn't have said yes. I don't want random people licking my neck. That's weird. Mm. And like in, 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 in public. Yeah. At no. a karaoke. But no, fuck off. <laughs> So the, the moral of the first, you know, however long we've been talking is <laughs> don't try to lick random people you don't know very well. Always ask for consent, but just don't bother asking if you don't know a person very well. Right. It's yeah. never socially okay. I mean, there are, there are very specific situations in which it might be okay. And I'm... Yeah, if you were in a licking people venue... 
then please ask first. <laughs> but if you are not in a licking people venue, don't even ask. Are licking people venues like raves, sex clubs, and Jenna Torturers concerts? That's, 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 that sounds about right to me. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> about right. right. Yeah. Also, any uh, dog park, but that's more about dogs licking people, and that's different. Right. Don't ask to lick a dog's odor <laughs> if you are not also a dog. <laughs> Dogs do not need permission, but they should still probably ask if they could. I don't, I don't know where we're going. Anyway, yes, this is why I'm in a weird space today. Because this is what I've been thinking about for two I mean, I should be thinking about work or, or working on Pugmire. No, my brain's going, but, but why did that happen? <laughs> I always love it when you have one of those like surreal encounters that you just can't get out of your head. Like, you can't, can't do it. I was like... My 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 friend Laura and I had a very strange conversation one time at Sailfest in Connecticut, uh, which is a big like street festival, mm. uh, probably in like 2016, maybe. Mm. And I still occasionally think about that conversation with that lady who just mm. sat down and told us about how her son was a goth and worked with Insane oh, Clown Posse. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And like, I, I still think about this conversation and it was surreal. And Laura and I were definitely just sitting there, like, nodding, like, uh, uh, okay, oh, mm-hmm, uh, yeah, because I think the whole conversation started with, are you a goth? Because it's me, and I was dressed like I dress, and I was like, I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> How do you answer Jesus this? <laughs> but yeah, every now and then you, like, have these conversations that, like, feel like a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah. Dixie. It's kind of like, what? What? Dixie, if anyone what? asks if you're a goth. <laughs> You say you yes. Say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I, I want that on a shirt now. <laughs> so um, uh, the moral of the story is that if you're uncomfortable being in the same physical proximity of people, there are different ways you can game with them. For example, oh my god! <laughs> wow, nice segue there. <laughs> that fell backwards into the topic. <laughs> Trust um, all. Yes. Um, so today we decided we're going to chat a little bit about uh, virtual tabletops because there's a lot of interesting nuance in the idea of them and how Onyx Path is approaching them and some of the interesting uh, complexities of, of working in them. So we thought maybe it's worth just kind of sitting down and talking about the topic at, at some length. Yeah, totally. Reduced amount of chance of people trying to lick you during a virtual tabletop session. Not, not zero, not zero, but pretty significantly reduced. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd, I'd be way more cool if someone wanted to lick my character because I'm like, well, you're not touching me. So fine, I guess. <laughs> Even then I'd still want consent. Yeah, yeah, of yeah course. like I, I would still want them to ask, but I probably, I, I, there's a much higher chance of me saying yes. True, if it's, true. you know, so, not me. Not not my body. <laughs> right. Also, hopefully people you have at least gamed with a little bit and so know contextually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's such an interesting um, starting point is um, I think all of us have done some kind of gaming via virtual game tabletop yeah. at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, do you tend to play with people you know or do you tend to, are you more likely to play with people you know or more likely to play with strangers in virtual tabletop is I guess the question I'm thinking of here. I would say that for me, most of my experiences have been with like a, a mix of strangers because a lot of the virtual tabletop stuff that I've done have also been live streams. Oh, okay. So like I was doing stuff for Extra Life uh, a couple weeks ago and 
those were with, you know, s- s- some people I know from like Dark Tales, but there were always like a couple of players in the mix I hadn't met before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fine. Like, I think having any kind of map or representation of the space you're in is helpful in general. Like for me, I'm a very visual person. Right. Uh, so whether it's with strangers or not, that's, that's just a, a nice thing for me to have to look at. But my friend groups haven't used them as much, but I think it just comes down to what we're playing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I'm playing Exalted Essence right now, um, where our storyteller will draw like little sketch maps of the area just so we kind of have an idea. But mm-hmm. like most storyteller games, it's very theater of the mind. So we're just getting a lot of descriptions and pictures and things more than a virtual tabletop. We're just playing through Discord. Right. Which I guess for this conversation, um, it may be good to have definitions um, uh, because first step up is used a bit loosely. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For our purposes, uh, I think it's fair to define virtual tabletop as some kind of service in which, like you're saying, you can share RPG specific tools. Yeah. Um, Maps, counters, music, dice. handouts. Yeah. Right. Um, that doesn't mean Discord can't become a virtual tabletop, but usually at that point you're probably adding bots and some extra tools to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 use uh, the D10 bot in our Essence game, mm-hmm. but even then, like I said, like I think that for me, when I think of virtual tabletop, like the way I I, I define it is very much like stuff you would put on the table at like while you're gaming. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I think of it in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like Roll20, obviously, is one of the prime examples. Um, sure. Where you, you've, you've, you've got maps, you've got tokens, you've got, you've got dice rolls. It's all the stuff that you would do on the table if you were sitting around a table playing a game. Whereas mm-hmm. when I think of, you know, Discord or what have you, I, I just don't think of it the same way. But that might also just be where my brain has chosen to put a line. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Dee? I mean, do you generally play with people you know strangers um you know so it really depends on what i'm doing most of the like casual games i've played have been with people i know to a certain extent um i i did at the very beginning of the pandemic play like an uh an l5r game with dixie and some folks that i think dixie you knew them through like discord stuff but i didn't really know them at all yeah, I knew them from Gehenna Gaming. Yeah, mm. but I didn't know them at all. Um, and that was actually really cool until it ended. Um, yeah, well, our, our, our main storyteller was a lawyer. And but there he was going things... to, well, he was trying to get into med school. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a lawyer, uh, a civil rights lawyer, which is apparently very dangerous work in Brazil. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. He had yeah, been he... shot. And... Yeah, he had to go for reasons. <laughs> Yeah, and so he, but he was in, like, he was trying to get into medical school, uh, and I think he got in and then had to stop running because he didn't have time anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was Strangers. Um, I have played with friends, but I've also done live streams with, as Dixie said, strangers who um, were cobbled together or colleagues who were cobbled together to do, you know, a live stream of a game um, to show it off or things like that. So a lot of my experience has been kind of mixed. It really just depended on what I was doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the other ones that, that we did recently that, that you were in, Eddie, was when we did uh, the Crossroads Continent Adventure. 
Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that Rich did for down down in the hole. So, so something about a hole. Uh, (laughs) um but that was also one of the first ones where we were testing our vtt integration with the maps that we had for that uh so that was a lot of fun uh but i'll say that 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 was one of the few that was like all people i knew Mm -hmm. yeah uh and i know since the the pandemic um there's been a lot of change in the vtt space right Mm -hmm. um like uh I guess one of the big ones um, is the fact that Roll20 and DirectRPG merged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have the biggest online retailer mixing with the, at that point, biggest uh, tabletop, virtual tabletop service are now working together. Um, and that's been pretty exciting just in terms of uh, finding out like how that's going to work together and, and obviously potentially gives people, I guess, more opportunities to kind of find ways to uh, put stuff out there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the flip of that has been, of course, new services have started, other services have folded. Um, I, I was looking for a while at kind of porting maybe all my gaming over to Astral for a minute. Because mm-hmm. um, it looked like a really cool system. It looked like it was a, a, had some interesting tools compared to, to Roll20, which, let's be honest, it, it's, it's over 10 years old, so it's, it's aging a bit. Yeah. Um, and they had some interesting ideas. And then Astral kind of stopped being a thing. Yeah, I I liked Astral a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I'm I'm one of the uh, founding backers of Alchemy, which is another okay tabletop thing, but it's still adding features. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good about talking to people in their Discord about what features they would like to see. So a lot of things are getting added constantly, and they've worked with a few different uh, companies to bring some things to their their platform. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I like about Alchemy is that it has a desktop uh, application. You can actually download it to your computer. You're not running through a website. Okay. It's it's got music and maps and a bunch of other features that I haven't gotten to play with very much. But that is one that 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 I'm I'm a fan of right now. But that is still kind of in like beta mode. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that uh, desktop. I I, I I admit this scenario I don't know much about, but I think Fantasy Grounds works the same way. I think so. Desktop? I. Opened a list while we were talking of, you know, someone did, like, a list of, like, the, the best virtual tabletop things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they 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 did mention Alchemy. Uh, they mentioned a bunch I haven't heard of, including some kind of bare-bones one, uh, which, which is really interesting. Okay. But then they have, like, Let's Roll, which I have not used, which yeah, is in they beta. They've got a few that are more lightweight, because they don't have, like, the character sheets built in, but they do have the maps. Right. Um, like, Owl Bear Rodeo, which is a great name. Yes, I've heard of Albert Rodeo. It's, I think it's open source, isn't it? I, I it, it looks like it. I'm I'm yeah. looking at a list, like I said. So it's oh, not. Fair okay, I didn't know they had more information. Yeah, not much, but uh, yeah, there there are a few that I just uh, don't really know much about. Like there's one called Tailspire, which has like 3D isometric video game graphics. Oh almost. yeah, yeah, it's on uh, Steam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So yeah, there's there's a bunch of them if you if, if you look up. I think it's worth if you want to run games uh, using a virtual virtual tabletop, it, it is worth at least playing with like a free trial of multiple ones to see what has the stuff that you need in it. Absolutely, totally, and that actually leads to kind of the one of the spurs um, that we've been uh, looking at in terms of, of VTT oh. stuff is that we try to make it at least initially uh, platform agnostic. Uh, so it's like here's uh, a map with and without grid lines. Here's tokens. Uh, here's mm-hmm. handouts, and all as individual kind of just image files. 
that you can then uh, upload to any kind of service because because most services again I haven't looked at all of them and as, as Dixie pointed out there's many we've even heard of but generally I have found most of them allow some form of uploading your own assets to make your own game so mm -hmm. by a pack then you're not locked into any particular system right uh, and we've been kind of initially like the the first pass that was kind of just tokens right let's take our art assets mm -hmm. um but let's let's crop the the faces out of them. Uh, make those into uh, a whole variety of tokens. Uh, you know, do a little zhuzh, I guess, uh, to make I them mean, look nice. Yeah, those are really useful too. Like in in one one of my extra live streams, we were playing uh, Baseline Chronicles, but mm. the GM uh, used the Scion token packs because they just look like regular people in the faces. Mm. Oh, nice. So yeah, we used a, a a Scion token pack to play Chronicles, and that. It, it made sense. They're just little people. So you can use them for any game that has, you know, vaguely modern looking people in it. Mm -hmm. Totally. But and this is something I'm going to kind of throw to, to D a little bit. Um, I know at least for me, since 2020, uh, virtual devs have been around for over a decade, but it seems like 2020 is kind of the pivot point in terms of how they're being used more. Um, so would, would it be fair to say that we've been designing our games differently you know, to, to take that VTT stuff more in mind as people explore all these options? Absolutely. I know that as I'm working on newer games or even like StoryPath Ultra, some of the things that I consider or think about are what, you know, do these rules make sense if somebody is trying to play this online using a virtual tabletop? So not just theater of the mind, but they have roll 20 up, they have the scene like a map or an image and they have tokens for their characters you know mm -hmm. do our range bands make sense do our mm. you know do what do the things that allow you to create like an area of effect or a you know a thing within a range band do those things make sense and are they working consistently so that if you are trying to play this with a virtual tabletop you're not going well where is everyone and none of this makes sense right mm -hmm. yeah as as somebody who you know edits quite a few uh of the core books I've, I've seen such a huge shift in the like running the game for new you know gm section oh, okay. over the past few years because mm -hmm. it used to be like like every section was like get some friends go to your house maybe order a pizza you know right. whatever whatever and now it is very geared toward like you may play this in person but you might play it online, and it's probably more likely at this point, you know, because like mm. so many gaming groups are, you know, scattered. It's 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 been like I would love to get back my like old gaming group back together for like one more run online, right. but I, I don't even know where half of them live anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. And for our our gaming group for for essence, it's my boyfriend's like high school friends and some of their other friends from like college and stuff. So they live all up and down the East Coast. Right. So it just makes more sense. Like, we're not going to get together every Saturday, you know? But we can get together every Wednesday on Discord. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, seeing those sections in books definitely shift from the old school assumption of, you know, you're all going to be in someone's basement with pizza and Mountain Dew, which very much right. was the assumption for a long time, to, yeah. like, you're almost more likely to be doing this at a computer screen. Whether it's on Zoom or, you know, on Discord or Hangouts or whatever. Or whether it's all through Roll20, because they have that, like, video thing on, on, on Roll20. Or some other virtual tabletop. 
to the, the the advice for running and playing a game and the etiquette around running and playing a game has kind of changed. It's been changing for, you know, a decade, but it shifted really rapidly in the past four years. Oh, yeah. And a small digression, but it loops back. Um, there's also some in-person etiquette of, of you, know, you know, you have a room in your house that you can get everyone together to play in. Mm -hmm. Is also not as universal as I think it was always positioned. Because um, one thing I'm learning now living in London is there are lots of people living in, in flats here. Um, and so you, the assumption that you have enough room in your flat to get all your people around to, to play is just not sustainable. Mm -hmm. I mean, if like it, we're having the, you know, housing inflation issue over here in the U.S., obviously, where mm -hmm. like I am 38 years old and I'm starting to be like, am I ever going to buy a house? Right. Maybe not. Because like based on my boyfriend's job, we need to live in a big city and I yeah. can't currently afford <laughs> like we can't afford shit around here. I like right. our apartment. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just rent till I die. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, 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 that's another part of it. It's like more people have roommates now, more people are still living at home later and yeah. a lot more people, you know, can't afford a sizable house. It's just not common. Yeah. Um, it's, it's particularly uh, not common here in London. Uh, and, and so uh, from what I understand, uh, a lot of times people just go to pubs and play, but there have been, I've been noticing a, a pretty significant rise of coffee houses, gaming cafes, and the like around mm -hmm. here. And then separately, uh, when um, I was chatting with uh, the folks at Group SNE who do the Japanese translation for Pugmire, uh, we were talking at Gen Con a few years ago. Uh, and they mentioned that a lot of times in Japan, they will rent karaoke booths to try to game in. Oh, that actually makes perfect sense because those whole, like, you know, 10 to 12 people, they usually have yeah. a place to sit. Yeah, they have a nice table. You can get drinks. There, order drinks, perfect. Yeah, exactly, right. Um, so it actually, you, you rent it for a couple of hours, usually. Um, so it actually worked well. But again, of course, then that puts a, a limit on the game length. It's like, you know, you're playing for two hours as opposed to four or five. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of, again, the default assumption. So uh, uh, that's something that I know I've been thinking about as well as, as we work on games going forward is the trying to break down uh, a lot of the uh, assumptions we just have. And Virtual Tabletop certainly is a part of that because you're right. I mean, it's just becoming very convenient to do it that way. Uh, Almost all of my gaming groups are on there, even though uh, we do, I do have a, two UK games, or sorry, two European games I'm playing in now. Uh, one is based in the UK, but even then, one player's in Scotland, uh, so it's not exactly down the road. Um, another game I'm playing in right now, uh, two of the players are in Germany, and uh, uh, one is um, in a different country that I'm blanking on the name of right now, uh, which makes me feel awful. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to say they're in Austria, but I don't know for certain. Uh, but suffice to say, you know, we're we're not you know, we playing online is just just very very easy for that regard. Um, and so that's something that to the next point is uh, we've been doing it with our tasty bits. Uh, we're trying out this year is um, trying to do things that are what I like to call a BTT forward, um, mm -hmm. in the sense of they're designed primarily under the assumption that they're going to be used with their virtual tabletop. Uh, yeah. And so the tasty bits are basically, here's a map, and here's 4,000 words of cool things you can do with that map. Yeah. Right. Just, just to add on to your other point, though, too, even mm -hmm. if you have a group in person, 
Um, because like I have a a local D and D group. Uh, if someone gets sick and you still want to play, oh it's, yeah, like having the option to go virtual is nice. Like my 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 mm -hmm. local D and D group has a you know small private Discord, and mm -hmm. so if like one of us is worried that we've been exposed to something, or one of us feels like, feels like we're like coming down with something, or for whatever reason, we can still play if we want to without worrying about getting other people sick, which I think is you know just a nice thing to do. To not purposefully give your friends illnesses. No, actually, that's, a, that's an interesting point because um, uh, the, the Atlanta group that we've been playing with now for almost five years now, it mm -hmm. was in person. Then we played online during the lockdown, uh, and then we played in person for another year or so. And then now that uh, my family's moved, we're playing online again. Um, so, but there were a couple times there where it's like when we were going from the lockdown to are we comfortable being around each other phase there's lots of the if anybody feels remotely sick or just uncomfortable being around people just let us know y'all have to explain yourself and we'll play online that day uh so so yeah mm -hmm. this is nice to have those options yeah exactly so our tasty bits so far this year is, is what we've been doing with, with the vdt stuff right yes yeah not all of our tasty bits it's just been the 2023 ones so what are some of the ones that we're particularly, you know, proud of or would like to see played? I know that we have an actual play coming up, I think, today. That's the time of episode release. Oh. Uh, with, yeah, uh, uh, Corbin from Dork Tales mm -hmm. is doing something with it. So it'll be on either YouTube or Twitch at some point if you're listening to this, like, as it comes out. Uh, but uh, I, th I think he's running Rat in the Burning Cage, which is the most recent one. Oh yeah, that's actually a tasty bit. Um, that's another cool one though. Um, that it is. Oh, I thought our... it was. I, I I got that mixed up. My fault. No, no worries. I mean, there's been a lot of them, so it's easy to get them mixed up. And no, actually, that that's another one that we're trying. What's interesting is, is uh, what we're calling a starter set, uh, a virtual starter set. Um, which is basically it's kind of a jumpstart plus. Uh, so uh, the idea what is the was, plus? um, is. Uh, if you've seen a, the box search, says like I know Cyberpunk Red had one a few years ago. Call of Cthulhu mm -hmm. did one a couple years ago. It's the here's uh, adventure, here's a little bit of the rules, pre-made characters, um, maps, minis, cardboard miniatures. Um, okay, yeah. And dice, all I can play. Um, and so the virtual one is kind of the same idea minus the dice because usually the um, virtual tabletops have some form of dice bot. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Here's the map, here's tokens, here's pre-made characters, here's the rules, here's a starting adventure. Everything you know to kind of uh, try out uh, a game, and so uh, rats in a cage is our assassins starter kit. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not quite a jump start. Um, it's 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 got some jump starter jump start bits, but I mean, but this also has uh, like there are some handouts. There's some some things like there's a, a a note from a character, and I think there's a bit of a diary. Um, so it's it's props just like you would have in a game. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's another avenue we're looking into in terms of here's a cool way to focus on virtual tabletop as, as, as the primary way of delivering it. Yeah, uh, definitely. But in terms of the actual tasty bits, um, uh, it's coming in the near future. Uh, so so I'll, I'll do one that's already out, but first I'll start with one that's coming up. A preview. Is, in October, um, Matthew wrote one for um, They Came From Camp Murder Lake. Uh, and basically, mm -hmm. I was like, and how I've been doing these this year, because I want to get the writers some room, is been like, here's the map. Here's the notes I made for the map. 
because I, I, I had to sketch out all of the maps ahead of time. And so I was like, here's a map, here's the notes I gave, write something. Um, uh, so uh, here's what you want to do with that. And Matthew was like, okay, um, and wrote an entire kind of mini scenario around a demon-possessed video game uh, from like the 80s. Nice, nice. And it's in this cabin for some reason. Uh, and it, it's very Matthew. I mean, that's, that's, like, that's, that's every horror movie, right? Right, right. It's Matthew's like, I mean, if you're writing Matthew stuff, it's like 80%, here's exactly what you expected. 20%, here's just a random bullshit thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just read that uh, yesterday. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It, it, so you would agree. It's just kind of, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, it is very much what the fuck is going on. Which, it's really funny, though, because it's also got a lot of, like, just really good advice of like, here's different locations in this kind of cabin in the woods setting mm-hmm. um, with some really good, interesting little bits and complications and enhancements and things like that, where you could kind of divorce it from the the plot line that's going on and just use mm-hmm. it as a setting. But it's also got this really weird plot line. Yeah. <laughs> I would love, like, I have not read that yet, but since one of the adventures that I, I wrote for the Adventure Path for Camp Murray Lake has, um, or maybe it was from the other group. I don't remember. I, I wrote an adventure once. Uh, mm. But it did have that, like, Cabin in the Woods horror setting. Yeah. But, like, I know that Matthew, like, added to it. So I, I also wonder if they'd be compatible. If you could, like, just add more bits to the cabin parts. That could be pretty cool, too. I think, I think he did something like that. I think it was kind of. Because uh, I, I remember there being a reference saying, you, here's the cabin information from page XX. I mean, we got page number, but like, here's the cabin information from Murder Lake. Here's mm-hmm. some more things you can kind of add to it. But also vice versa. I fully expect you could probably take your adventure you wrote and just use this map with it, which is the other reason we're kind of building this around a map because kind of the, the idea is that I can run the stuff that you wrote with it, but also now I have a map that I can use for other games. I can mm-hmm. build on that and use it for other needs if I need to. And I mean, everyone's different when it comes to like whether or not you want that kind of thing. Like I am a super, like once again, very visual person for mm-hmm. all that I do work with a lot of words. I'm not as good with listening to descriptions and like processing them well. Mm-hmm. And so there have been many times, even in, in our Essence game, which is, you know, mostly fine. But there have been many times in our Essence game where all of us are sitting there going like, wait, 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 wait. How far are we from that thing? I, I thought we were right here. Right. What's mm-hmm. happening? And if we just had a map where yeah. we could put our little tokens on it and say, I'm here, bad guy, there, okay. Because, yeah, like, I can't tell you how many times we've been, like, starting a fight and I'm like, am I close enough to hit it? I, I don't know where it is, you know? Right, yeah. And that's something that I know, even for our more theater of the mind games, it's actually been really nice to have for the VTT. It's just little things like, here's a picture of the person mm-hmm. you're talking to. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, like, you know, how far are you away from these? Or like, we're going to go over and talk to this person over here. And what is this third, you third player, what are you doing? It's like, oh, well, I'm actually going around the corner. Um, being able to kind of just drag an icon on a screen and be able to say, I'm going over here. Um, Mm -hmm. can really help to kind of cement the scene. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think about like games like Anima, Uh where, The the like if you're doing the Terra Surge stuff, the power sets in Terra Surge rely a lot on the range bands and the nearness and area mm-hmm. of effect and setting down areas that only extend out to this kind of range and stuff like that. 
And so having a map or a, or even if it's just like, it's not squares, but it's just like, okay, well, this is the area that this is in. You have to like step around it. Really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for mentioning anime reminded me. Um, I found this tool called RPG map and that's just what I used. Uh, it's, 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 oh, I can, it's, I can it's open source, but it's definitely free. It's all you download and just make RPG maps on. Um, and I initially found it because I need something against make sketches for these maps or something. But um, you mentioned Anima, and one of the ideas I have if I ever run Anima online is that I want to get um, some of the nice maps that we've been making for the various VTT stuff for the kind of in the Cascades, you know, your, mm -hmm. your, your ramp. Um, but RPG map does everything in a 16-bit style. Oh, I love that. So all the Terra Surge maps will be kind of 16-bit fantasy Super oh. NES style. Oh, mm -hmm. no, I love that. <laughs> no, right? Also, just having, like, fantasy maps versus, you know, cyberpunk modern maps is a really great way to change the feel of the game. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You're going from being in uh, Cascade to being in Terra Surge. Right. Uh, oh, but um, uh, uh, I was going to mention um, the, the one that you can get now, actually, um, for the, uh, you asked me, Dixie, about which Tasty Bits people might want to check out. It'll be it'll be live by the time you're listening to this episode because um, it's coming out this week. But the one for Dragon that we did, uh, how we put these together was Rich was like, let's figure out what games we're doing each of these four and then just come up with a scenario uh, with locations and make sure they're all different. I was like, okay, sure. Um, and then we said we decided we to do one for Dragon, Zion Dragon. And I was like, I don't know a library. And so uh, I uh, asked Lauren Roy to write that. And Lauren Roy was like, I get to write something in a library about dragons. Holy crap, please sign me up. <laughs> and she did a really fun little kind of again this is the, some of them are not all adventures this one just happened to be kind of a little short scenario of a dragon uh whose board is a library um and you have to go in and kind of convince them to maybe not you know wake up and murder a bunch of people but they actually have like evil librarians as uh defense monsters so you can actually fight evil librarians and that just it's it's glorious because it's 50% creepy library, 50% bonkers nonsense, which I think is kind of a good middle ground for Scion as a general rule. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the Tasty Bits have always been kind of our little experimental chunk. It's like, here's 4,000 words, I don't know, do something with them kind of mm -hmm. uh, experiment. Uh, this is the first time we've actually made new assets for the Tasty Bits because the, the maps are all new. The art's still from other products but the, the maps are all new and so that's been kind of an interesting little twist on things yeah i mean get them done a little bit earlier than we used to <laughs> yeah because yeah. it used to be kind of like if i finished editing it like you know the week or two before it went up it was probably fine because it's only four thousand words and you just slap some art on the front throw it through layout yep this one was like uh I literally in january of this no it was january it was december of last year i went to magazine cool here's all 12 maps i just did it all for the year mm -hmm. <laughs> um and, and so commissioned them out to get the art to come in and then of course mike's on top of it that i'm not all worried about that but it's been uh interesting and going okay here's much of the other tasty bits like here's the, the tasty bits have been let's find art to fit the topic this has been more okay here's the map that's right around that um so that's been an interesting challenge yeah. And as, as, as far as uh, our stuff on specifically World 20 goes, because that's where we've been putting a lot of things since we're partnered with the drive through in World 20, obviously. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you can actually like buy They Came From Beneath the Sea via World 20. And yeah. then you can also get the tokens and quip cards and everything, like which mm -hmm. work on the virtual tabletop. 
So I know that one of the things that's harder to translate to VTT is anything that involves cards. Uh, right. So it is nice when those are already done up on the digital platform. There's also a, a big Onyx Path Con 23 bundle that's still on sale. Oh, okay. It's like the 30 bucks, and that's that's Pugmire, all the core tokens and maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Scardlands bundle. There's all kinds of stuff you can do on here. You could get Scion, Origin, and Hero, uh, Squeaks in the Deep tokens and maps, including ones for Connection Lost, the adventure. Yeah. So if you want to run some of our games on here, uh, lots of Scardland stuff. Uh, that's partially because Travis hands, handles a lot of our Roll20 stuff, and obviously yeah. Travis loves right. Scardlands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Scion Jumpstart's on there. So yeah, there's there's a ton of our stuff on there, and we are working on adding more, and especially adding more with more features. Right. And actually, that's another good point, because um, some people have asked, have been like, you know, hey, um, you have, uh, I think it's Scion and uh, a couple of other games you have, like, you know, the character sheets for and the features mm-hmm. and whatnot. When are you going to do all the other games? Um, and I will say, because uh, one of the advantages I have is that since I own Pugmire, I get involved in slightly different business conversations than other parts mm. of my job uh, because everything has to go through me. That's part of the agreement merchant I have. Uh, and so uh, we talked about like, you know, let's do Realms of Bugmire uh, VTC support. And so uh, it turns out making a digital interactive sheet for role-playing games is really expensive. Yeah. Uh, uh, like a dollar amount that I was not expecting poured at me uh, when we first investigated it. I was like, what? Is that the number? Because it's programming work. It's engineering work, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and computer programmers justifiably uh, ask for a good amount of money for their skills. So uh, I know that eventually we're going to you know, try to get as many of those done as possible. But like I said earlier, there's so many different platforms. We have to be uh, strategic. And also nobody in our, you know, the, the in-house team, you know, really knows how to do that. So we have to Mm-mm. hire a freelancer to do like most other parts of our business. Of course, me me being an ADHD dabbler is like, I could learn because that's what I do. I just decide to pick up a new skill every just now learn, and then. Right, right. Hey, hey, I went from it taking me a week to lay out a novella to yesterday I did it during the meeting. Nice. And that's awesome. So new skills are exciting. No, I'm not, I'm not researching at all. But, but the, you, you bring <laughs> up a really good point is like, okay, so which platform do you learn? Because they're all different. Right. Exactly. Like, which, which of these... Get it? There's there's like ten or so big ones, but if you look at it, there's probably like you know way way more than that. Once you start getting into kind of the small and indie ones and yep. random things people have cobbled together. Right, right. So uh, uh, we we definitely do want to do. Um, I believe the correct term is compendium, for which is the um, you can click on a thing and it gives you the rules information for the thing and it rolls mm-hmm. your dice correctly and parses the information correctly. I believe all of that collectively is called the compendium. Um, so we definitely have interest in doing those. Um, and we've, we've talked to some people. We have some, some plans in progress to get those made. Um, but they take time uh, and they mm-hmm. are expensive. Um, and so like, it, it's, it's much easier to do things like tokens and maps because that involves a process that we are deeply familiar with, which is make an art thing, put an art thing up online, then right. sell it. You know how to do those things. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole new... Very complicated world that seems like every time we get our hands on it, something changes, like, you know, a major corporation changing their licensing agreements three times in a row, of course, in four months, <laughs> as a random example. What? That never happens. <laughs> also, like, it's, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, we're, we're ready to program in, let's say, all of StoryPath, right? Mm-hmm. That's multiple iterations on the system. So you'd have to yeah. tweak it per game and right. then even tweak it per, like, 
book in game, depending on what you're playing. Like if you're playing Trinity, for instance, right? The Trinity core rules and the Trinity like aberrant rules are completely different things. They're not yeah. completely different, but they are quite fit different in very fiddly ways. Sure. So going from playing uh, Talent to playing uh, Nova is a huge, huge gap. Mm-hmm. And then going into, you know, Aeon, and then once you start looking at things like Scion and they came from whatever, it, it really is a lot of programming work to make sure it all works properly. Right. But D, I, I think it's fair to say that that's actually another reason why Ultra has been kind of on our mind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To kind of standardize a lot of stuff a bit. Right. And to, to ensure that moving forward, if our games like The World Below wants, you know, we do have some modules or things on VTT spaces that the rules are already kind of designed with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, um, it's exciting. It's complicated. It's, uh, there's things that we're working on. There's things we have been working on. There's things we're still working on. Um, virtual tabletops is something that seems like it's easy to understand and pretty simple and just none of that is true. It's, it's, it's a whole lot. It's very different. It's very vibrant. Um, but we're excited about it. I mean, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that we're all like enjoying VTT and excited to work in that space on mm-hmm. some level. I also yeah. think it adds to streams because if you can put your map up on the screen sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it's nice to show viewers also where you are and what you're looking at. Right. It, I mean, it's hard enough to keep in your mind like what everybody is doing or what you're doing, but when you're watching, you're trying to keep track of everything that's going on. Sometimes that can be really difficult. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that with us doing stuff with start playing having mm-hmm. a bunch of virtual tabletop stuff and you know out there and we us encouraging people to kind of get together on start playing i think it helps facilitate the feeling like you're at a convention game where mm-hmm. there's you know maybe a map laid out or there's you know some handouts or there's whatever um And you're getting to meet people and play a new game and try something out, but there's something tangible to it that Mm -hmm. a lot of online play space doesn't necessarily facilitate you finding new people to play with. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's it's a way to, I don't even want to say emulate, but it's the only thing I think of is like, but get close to that experience of um, going to a convention table and trying a demo out or um, playing the game uh, with some people because the game looks cool. Um, yeah, start playing is a great way to kind of get that almost uh, local game club feel. But having things like uh, a tokens and maps can really help to make it, oh, this is, you know, a, a neat little experience rather than just here's some Word documents and me explaining everything to you. you know? I mean, there, there, it's, it's, it, it, it's for people who are, who are visual, that level of polish really helps. It really helps. Absolutely. Like, oh, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, yes, it is still possible in some places to find those game clubs. Like, we have a wonderful mm-hmm. gaming store near me called Three Gear that does, mm-hmm. like, they constantly have events going on for role-playing games. Uh, actually, uh, Charlotte Persephone, who's on our Discord, they they run games there occasionally, and so does Josh Heath. Oh, okay, cool. Both of whom live somewhat near me. <laughs> but, like, they'll, they'll run games in their, their little game room. And, you know, you, you, you can sign up, you show up, you play. I know they do some Pathfinder Society stuff, you know, and that, that's great. Like, there are a lot of places that still do that. When I worked at the game store in Connecticut, 
we, you know, ran the Adventurers League or whatever every week. But, you know, there are a lot of people who, during the pandemic, kind of got to, like, show up at virtual cons and virtual tables and go, I've, I've never gotten to do this before because I, you know, live in Alaska or don't know anyone yep. near me who has these hobbies or whatever. Yep. And it's so cool to get to do that. Like, that is the one thing about everything going virtual for as long as it did that I think made a lot of people realize, like, there are people out there who really kind of, like, need these services. Yeah. Whether it is just for gaming or whether it's for, you know, talking to people who have similar life experiences to you or whatever. And so that 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 is something that is great about services like Start Playing, is if you are in an area where you really, like, don't have a local game shop, don't know people who play... You know, you can go on there, you can find a game, as we talked about during our Start Playing episode, which I definitely recommend people listen to if they haven't, um, that yeah, and I did with, with, with Devin. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, like, we were so excited with finding all the little features in that, including the feature to, like, request a game. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. If you really want, like, if, like, you're looking for someone to run a game for you and you have, like, some players, but no you know, GM, you can request a game on there. And cool. you can look through a bunch of different DMs and try to figure out, like, who would be the best fit. Or you can just request it into the ether and somebody will contact you, I do believe. Yeah. Which is really cool. Like, that that's awesome. There are people all the time who are like, I've always wanted to play, I don't know, Promethean, but can't find sure. anybody to run it. And it's like, well, get a little group together, request a game, pay somebody a little bit of money, and they'll learn the system for you. And they'll run it for you, you know? Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, hey, I just kickstarted this this cool new game and but i don't have the times down and run it so could someone just run it, run it for me mm -hmm. it's a cool idea yeah so so yeah i think like there's there's so much good about a lot of the virtual stuff a lot of it's really accessible which is nice yeah because you know there are also just people who are physically disabled and yep. right for whatever reason, can't easily get to games. Like, there's so many reasons that you can't easily get to a game. I mean, I I deal with a lot of mental illnesses, as, as folks know, and sometimes I don't want to leave the house. Sure. But I'm not feeling antisocial. I'm just feeling a little anxious. Right. <laughs> and if I can just sit at my computer, you know, the place where I sit every day that is kind of my comfort zone, then maybe I can still play a game. I don't know how many times I have just been like, you know, I'm just going to turn my camera off for a few minutes. I, I mm -hmm. just don't want to be seen for a few minutes. And then I'm yeah. get over it and I'm fine. Um, that's, like, that's what you could do in person, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. Please, please do not perceive me. Right. Please don't look at me. Don't look at me. Yeah. Uh, and it, if you do that in person, people will look at you extra hard. <laughs> if you start or screaming, don't, don't look at me. One of the two, you know? Yeah. I, <laughs> I have a hard time um, listening slash concentrating on uh, listened to things if I am not also like doing something with my hands or um, kind of like fidgeting fiddling. It's why like I will listen to audiobooks, but only while I'm driving or cooking or, you know, when I worked in the office, I would be like doing mindless mm -hmm. lab work yeah. um, while listening. And so when I'm at a tabletop RPG, I will look at my phone or fiddle with things. And I feel like in person, it feels like I try not to do that too much because it feels a little disrespectful, but it is how I concentrate and pay attention. I have, I have a very similar issue. Yeah. And so when I'm on online or on a computer, no one can see that I'm, you know, I, I'm working on a puzzle while I'm listening. 
listening to this thing going on. I have definitely, like, I have a bunch of mobile games on my phone, a lot of which are just, like, visual, Mm -hmm. um, specifically for that. Like, I will sit here and listen and play my little RPG game and, you know, be able to fully engage, but my eyeballs are playing a, like, you know, color sorting game or match three game or something because that that keeps me a- able to listen. I mean, all through college I was the kid who like crocheted in class because oh, okay. I could like I would always ask my 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 professors if they were cool with it, you know? And they were always like as long as it's not distracting. It only became distracting once when a giant scarf I was making accidentally fell and unrolled like a red carpet. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but but people thought that was funny. So, you know, it was fine. Right. So, yeah, I would just sit in class and just crochet and still participate and still listen and still talk and put it down when, when, I, when I, I, I need it to. But I focus so much better if I'm doing something else. Like, that's, that I'm the same way. It is, it is part of my neurodivergence. It is not uncommon. Like, I've, I got in trouble so much in high school for drawing in class and, mm-hmm. like, couldn't explain to my teachers because I, I didn't really have the language for it yet that that was actually helping me retain information. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Because I would just zone out if I just tried to listen to yep. uh, yeah. you know, forty-five minute lecture on U.S. history or something. I, but if I, I was doodling, doodled. I could intake it. Yep, I doodled so much in high school, and in college, I played my Game Boy. I'd sit in the back of the lecture hall and play my Game Boy mm-hmm. while taking notes and listening. Like mm-hmm. Z- Zelda got me through so much of college. <laughs> I was I was going to ask what what Game Boy game. Uh, I played a lot of um. The Professor, um, Professor Layton, Professor Layton games, yeah. Oh, those are good. So nice, like nice. fun little investigation games, and then mm-hmm. uh, I played the oh, frick, um, Minish Cap, okay, a lot. And I'm trying to remember. There was a couple of other. Oh, Golden Sun. I played. Oh, uh, great game. Underrated. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I played it, all of those games. I played while in class, like. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm not sure I could have gotten away with that, but like I, I went to college late, so we were mm. already in the era of you know smartphones, and so right, teachers right. were not happy about you having electronic devices out like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Unless you were recording, they were okay with you recording lectures, obviously, uh, because a lot of teachers do understand that that was helpful for people. Yeah. Um. But 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 yeah, like I I crocheted through a lot of college. <laughs> I I was very productive. But yeah, so I mean, it, it's cool that virtual tabletops kind of started as a way to get people who can't come to the same physical space play together. And over time, we have uncovered these various different other additional benefits that come with them, which is really, really great. Well, yeah, so, like, like I said, they're they are necessary for some people. And mm-hmm. at, at some level, they are an accessibility device. And that's something that I know people have been... In the gaming space, that's become more and more of a conversation, right? Right. Over the past decade or so. I've only been in the industry for like eight years. But I know mm-hmm. that even in the past eight years, it has really like ramped up as mm-hmm. a, a, a conversation people are having, whether it's about colors and books and screen readers and being able to, you know, read PDFs with that sort of te- technology. Right. So, yes, it's just like another thing that makes games more accessible for some people. So there is a like... In video games, and Eddie might be able to speak more to this than I can, and just in programming in general, there's kind of this edict where they say, you know, 
when you design things specifically for accessibility, you help everyone. Yep. Because everyone benefits from something that you do specifically for an accessibility reason. So, Mm -hmm. you know, almost all video games have subtitles now. You can turn them off if you don't like them, but they're on as a standard, which is an accessibility thing, but a lot of people really like them. I love Um, them. And I I love love them. I love when they'll let me put a bar behind them, like a like a fifty percent opaque bar, mm-hmm. yep. um, because sometimes it's too busy to read them. And I love when they let me change the font size because I have right. a very big high res monitor, so sometimes they end up being tiny. Tiny, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I want to read you. Yeah the the current accessibility thing that I struggle with is a lot of newer games are trying to simulate a very real experience. Um, with their art and with the way that the camera moves and all of this kind of stuff. The problem Mm -hmm. with that is that I get motion sickness from that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all this like motion blur and, you know, the stuff that they're doing. And at first these games were like, oh, we're pushing the envelope with reality. And I'm like, I can't play your games. (laughs) They literally (laughs) make me ill. Yeah. And now you can turn that stuff off, but they're not designed with that in mind. And I'm, you know, it's a frustrating thing what you have to deal with, but just like plenty of people have had to deal with, okay, well, color choices and okay, well, hearing aid and, you know, oh, everything's based on being able to hear the game. Well, if I can't hear very well, I'm, I can't play your game. Yeah. yeah, I um since Baldur's Gate three won't run on my computer very well, I started playing uh, Pathfinder: Wrath of the Righteous because uh-huh. I hadn't played it, and it was so I always go through all my settings beforehand because I am a nerd about like wanting my game to be the way I want it. Yes, and Wrath of the Righteous was the first game I ever saw that actually had settings for the different types of color blindness. Oh, that's really nice. Like oh, nice. like if you go to the graphics, they have it for I think it's Protonopia, Deuteronopia, and Tritanopia, um, uh. and you can slide. The, the like sliders all around uh to oh, do that. like cool. i am personally not colorblind I, I actually have weirdly good color vision but i love seeing that on there because it's just something i've never seen a game really do um yeah. and I've, I've got friends who are colorblind who would love that sort of you know setting on all video games right because there are a lot of games that are like you know oh it's you know, the red or the green thing and it's like well that's not useful for some people Mm-mm. so but, i yeah. mean to the point about, you know, um, it helps everybody. Like, I know, um, uh, I think it's Persona 5, uh, but don't quote me on that. Um, but one game uh, introduced a few years ago, U- uh, UI scaling. Um, and said, so, you know, mm-hmm. UI scaling. And, and they did it initially for, um, with the, and so people with, with low vision um, can be able to see the UI better. You know, it's great. Um, and then they found out, oh, if we do UI scaling, it also means it works on the Steam Deck really well, which is a massive piece of gaming hardware right now mm-hmm. um, because you have a smaller screen. And so it's it's really uh, uh, important to realize that, yeah, you said, it, it, it helps everybody if you think about these things. So Yeah, like um, I remember when I first was playing Ma- Mass Effect Andromeda, I was playing it on my Xbox on a slightly smaller television. And I, like, mm-hmm. couldn't read the subtitles unless I got right up next to my TV. And I was like, oh, this yeah. is clearly made for PC. 
because they think yeah. I'm going to be, you know, 12 inches from the screen. But I was sitting right. on my couch, you know, a good yep. three or four feet from the screen. And it was just like, mm -hmm. hmm. That happened. So the new Torment game that came out, the new Monero one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, Weston and I like to play adventure style games um, together where we'll stream them to the TV. He will play them and I will just enjoy the story. Um, yeah. And we were going to play that game that way, but we could not read anything on the TV. Mm -hmm. It was, and, and there was and no way, way to, to scale it. it. Yeah. yeah, there was no way to scale it. So we tell horror stories about things that weren't accessible, even to those of us who don't usually need those things, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Eddie has some nightmare stories about oh, I'm sure. various sound designs. Oh, and, and I could spend another entire episode just talking about shitty subtitle design. But <laughs> we are over on time, so um, like it's, it's a good place to kind of wrap things up. Uh, but yeah, if you um, are interested in checking out our VTT stuff, uh, uh, we generally have, if you do a search under Onyx Path on DriveTurpity for VTT, you can probably find most of them. And we are slowly and steadily uploading them also to right directly into the Roll20 storefront. So also, you just go there and look for our stuff. Um, you can find it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if people wanted to find you, Dixie, uh, and ask you questions about being licked in the face, where would they find you? Oh, God. Mm. Uh, you can find me anywhere <laughs> with that symbols at Dixie Cyanide. I'm mostly on Blue Sky now. Uh, and also, I'm always on the Discord. That's a great place to talk to us on the podcast channel. How about you, Dee? I am impernious everywhere. I'm on Tumblr a lot right now. I do have a blue sky. I just, you know, mostly just find me in the Discord. And you can also find me at uh, daniellozon.com. Uh, as for me, um, uh, I'm also on blue sky. I, I have pretty much at this point in time quit uh, X or Twitter or whatever it all is. But if you search for uh, me on Blue Sky or really anywhere, um, you can find me at Pugsteady. It's also my website. That's uh, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, but like we said, I'll, I'll, all of us do hang out on the Onyx Path Discord. That is really the best place to come and, and talk with us, uh, particularly in the Pathcast channel. And as people have proven time and again, if you post a Transformers meme, I will probably show up within 15 minutes and talk to you. <laughs> it's so. the summoning spell for Eddie. It, and, and people joke about it, but it really does work because for some reason, I'm always happen to be looking at Discord when someone does it. So Unless you'd like, just... so, so if you're on East Coast time, start posting them between like 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. and see if you can trick him that way. He's probably asleep. That'd be the one day where I'm like insomnia. Someone's talking. <laughs> Someone's posted an Optimus Prime picture. I have to talk to them. You can find all of our stuff on theonyxpath.com, and particularly check out on Mondays because that's when Rich posts his blog and he talks about uh, what's going on with the company and updates on all the projects. And then, and uh, also we do a monthly release roundup because people have been asking recently, "Hey, where's?" X thing. Mm -hmm. um, Ian combines all of the updates together and updates the release run up so you can see where everything's at. So you could, there's no way you can't find out where your cool thing, where your interesting thing is at. Um, so if you want to go check out what's going on with our BTC stuff, go check out there. Uh, check out on the Discord. But no matter where you look for us, just remember many worlds, one path.